the the blessing of God's book is so perfect that those who do not read it do not understand what they're missing out on. The Word of God is an amazing book and it's full of so many rich and powerful things. And I want to kind of stay on the theme um, of the Bible, uh, which we've already started a, a little bit ago. Tonight, the simplicity of the Bible. Let's go together to God in the Word of Prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for your goodness, for your compassion and for your kindness. You brought us back again to worship you. We thank you. Thank you for allowing us to worship you, for accepting our worship. Help us, please, to understand your word and to grow. And help us, Lord God, to bring glory and honor to your name. And bless us to always remember Jesus and his amazing sacrifice. It's in his name we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. Welcome to each of you here tonight. And those who are online, we praise God for your presence. We are thankful to be here. The Bible is a very simple book. They say it's written on like a third grade level, meaning a third grader could read it and understand it. But the depth of the message goes beyond, right? Sometimes even our own understanding. But what I want us to do tonight is think about the central theme of the Bible of salvation. And I want us to think about how to understand the Bible in its simplest form. Galatians chapter 3 is where I want us to start tonight. The the Bible, the Old Testament, leads us to Jesus. That's the thrust of everything you read in the Old Testament. It's leading us to Jesus. In Galatians 3, in verse 24, speaking of the law, the Bible says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law became our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. John 14. It leads us to Jesus. So the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, has this amazing design to lead us to Jesus. And all the things we read about, the history, um, the activities of, of godly people and ungodly people, uh, the miracles and everything else that you see, the purpose is to lead us to Jesus. Now, John 14, verse 7, the Bible says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. But Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you? And yet you have not come to know me. Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. So, the Old Testament, the law of Moses, leads us to Jesus. Jesus leads us to the Father. The Father will take us home. Matthew 7. The whole Old Testament, in a nutshell, the entire law of Moses, in a nutshell, is found in Matthew 7 and verse 12. 
what message was God trying to communicate uh, to the Jews and even the known world? What was the one single message? Matthew 7 and verse 12. The Bible says, Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. So whatever you want people to do for you, you do those things for them. And so it sets the precedence of morality or moral living, or if you will, it helps us to understand better how to treat our fellow man. That's God's whole message. It's a simple book. When you read the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, looking at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they declare to everyone, this is why you should become a Christian. Someone says, well, why should I be a Christian? Why should I do that? Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John tell us exactly why. They give us four major reasons. You kind of have to take yourself back in the days of the emperors and the kings, but, but it also applies today. They give us four major reasons why every human being should become a Christian. Matthew comes at this message in a way that he's writing to a Jewish audience and he says, you should all become Christians because Jesus is king. Look at Matthew 2, verses 1 and verse 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Jesus is king. So the whole book wraps itself around the king. The king is here. The king. Everything about the king. And then Mark comes along. And and Mark, he kind of twists it a little bit because it's kind of confusing when you think of Jesus as being king, because Jesus was king, turn to Mark 10, but he was a different kind of king. So Mark comes along and he speaks to a Roman audience and he says, Jesus, who was king, is servant of all. So Jesus Christ is a servant king. And you go, wait, what would it be like to have the king serve his people? Wow. Jesus, this is why you should all, why we should all become Christians. Then turn to Luke chapter 19. So, this servant king, Luke comes along and writes to a Greek audience and he says, this servant king is concerned about your salvation. He's a man. Okay. He's a servant king who is a man. You go, Okay, I I get that. Well, what that means is the servant king understands you. He understands where you're coming from. He understands what you're going through. So, Luke 19 and verse 10, uh, the Bible says to us about Jesus. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And so as you read through the book of Luke and you think about Jesus being a man, Luke being a doctor, right? Jesus being a man, you go, okay, so he's the man-servant king. And this is why everyone should become a Christian. But there's one more point that they want to bring out. Not only is he a man, and not only is he king, and not only is he a servant king, when you go to John chapter 1, John says, you also need to know when you think of Jesus, he's divine. He's God. 
Now it's confusing. Because how can a servant king who is a man also be God? Well, that's why you should become a Christian. Because God came down as a man to serve the world and he is king. Wow, that makes sense. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's look at John 1. You, you know what it says already, but think about how John writes about this servant king who's a man, but also God. In the beginning, verse 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. So God is saying through John, now we go back to the beginning. God, the Creator, the Servant King, who is man, is also God, the Creator of the universe. Verse 14, And the Word became man. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten Father, full of grace and and true, Jesus. John 8 and verse 57. Oh, even the, the man Abraham that you cling to in your faith. Verse 57, the Bible says the Jews were, uh, the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. That powerful statement that Jesus is the great I am. So, why should we become a Christian in the midst of all this turmoil and wickedness and evil? It's because the servant king is both man and God, the creator of the entire universe. Uh, good point. Now look back at Mark chapter, chapter 8. So they went out and they spread this message to uh, the whole known world. Verse 34 of Mark chapter 8. And he summoned the multitude with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake shall save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man also will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus is the answer to everything. Okay, I got it. Now, you come to Christ, you surrender to him, in the waters of baptism. Well, how do we know that? Well, because the book of Acts comes along and the book of Acts tells every human being how to become a Christian. You can't get it in any other book in the Bible. Turn to Acts 2. You get it from the book of Acts because the book of Acts is literally the Acts of the Apostles and the early church. Here's the beginning of the church. This is how you become a Christian. You can't find it anywhere else. In verse 38 it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and your children of all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Notice that Peter talks about baptism, and he says you need to get baptized in order to be saved. But though the people believed and heard the message, they've been pricked in the heart. They've already heard about the Messiah. They've heard everything there is to hear. They're still not saved. And then finally, in verse 41, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now they're saved, right? So the book of Acts, or in Acts 8, tells us how to become a child of God, how to become a Christian. Acts 8 in verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. How does a person serve, become a child of the servant king, who is both man and God? You've got to get baptized into Christ. There's no other way. Everyone that came to Christ was baptized that believed and became a Christian. Acts 22. Remember Paul, even even a man as ruthless as Paul, because of the great forgiveness of God. Beginning at verse 14. And he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, and to see the righteous one, and to hear the utterances from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him in all men, of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. So every person who came to God willing and ready to surrender to this servant king who was both man and God were baptized into Christ Jesus. You learn that in the book of Acts. When you get to the book uh, the books of uh, Romans, and you read all the way through the book of Jude, they all have the same message. And their message is simple. This is how you live as a Christian. See, in the book of Acts, we learn how to be saved, how to become Christians. The book of Romans through Jude tells us how to live as Christians. Romans chapter 5. And oftentimes, when we're studying with people about salvation, we go to, we go to the New Testament books. Um, but we should ought to, ought to go to the book of Acts first. Kind of stay there for a little while. Visit there, live there for a little while in your Bible study so they'll learn how to become Christians. And then go to the other books to talk about how to live as a Christian. Romans 5 and verse 19. For as through as, excuse me, as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, the obedience of the one, the many, will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This text is not saying to live your life in such a way to where you can test 
the limits of God's grace? No. He goes on to say, but let me tell you how to live. Live as if there were no grace. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Right? So now, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. God is telling us, this is how you live as a child of God. A child of the servant king who is both man and God. This is what the whole world needs to do. Surrender to this Jesus, be baptized into Christ, and live by faith in the Son of God. Recognizing that there is grace. Thank you, Lord, for that. But you live as if there is no grace. You stop sinning. Stop sinning. Because your bodies have now become something that it wasn't before. Your body is now the carrier of the Holy Spirit. The carrier of the Godhead, if you will. Your body is now sanctified, holy, set apart for our God. And you are no longer your own. First Corinthians 3 and verse 16. The Bible says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. So there's this transformation that has happened. A gift from God. Turn to Galatians chapter 2. And this transformation has made us holy. We've surrendered to a holy God, and now we are set apart from the rest. We are different from the world. All of that because Acts told us that we died with Jesus. So now, Galatians 2 and verse 20, the Bible says there, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself or delivered himself up for me. So this whole message of God is now as a child of God, this is how you need to live your lives. And then we go through and you begin to pick out different or individual things that may pertain more so to me than some maybe of those other things. Like, uh, the, you know, no one today is going to ask me to carry their cloak one mile and then the Bible says carry it two. But service. I understand service. So we're looking at this, this Bible, this book that is so, so simple and it's living and what it teaches us. And we don't have to confuse it or complicate it when we're trying to teach people who are not Christians, who are not children of God. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And that is the umbrella of Christianity 
Everything that we do, everything that we say must fall under the umbrella of love. Everything. Love is the motivation for all things in Christ. That that challenges how we talk to each other. It challenges how we treat one another. It challenges us because it says a servant will love. It challenges us to be like Jesus who could have who could have ruled with all authority over mankind and lorded his authority over them, but that's not what Jesus did. He served in humility. Everything that is about Jesus in the Christian is love. Salvation, love. So now as Christians, we live under the umbrella of love. Now here's the problem. Problem is this. You were living back in those days in the first century. There was a great persecution against the church. And all you wanted to do was love. You learn, you're now, you're now different. You don't, you don't, you no longer go into the temple of Diana. You don't do that any longer. You, you no longer make your, force your, your wife, if you will, to be the servant of the husband. You don't do that any longer. We no longer live the ways that we used to live our lives And because of that, or for that reason, there's this great and tremendous persecution against Christians. Because Christians were saying, in in a way, Romans, the way that you're living your lives is an error. The king is full of sin. The king needs to repent. Though you never said it, the way that you refuse to live in ungodliness is now condemnation to the rest of the world. And for that reason, if you are willing to surrender to the servant king who is both man and God, the creator of the world, through the waters of baptism, and live your life for Jesus, you're probably going to die for it. So the Bible says, let me tell you how to die. As a Christian. Revelation chapter 2. So the New Testament, if you break the whole Bible down, when it comes to the New Testament, the Old Testament leads us to Christ. Christ leads us to the Father. The Gospels talk about the servant king who is man and God. Then a person becomes a child of God based on the teachings in the book of Acts. And then we learn how to live as a Christian. The Bible tells us how to be born again, and how to die. Isn't it great? God never leaves us as orphans. He tells us everything. And He stands with us all the way to the end. Verse 8. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful, therefore, unto death. And I will give you the crown 
of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has overcome shall not be hurt by the second death. And so now we learn this. Jesus taught it. If you live and you die, you will live again. Right? Become a child of God because you are alive. You will die. But in Christ Jesus, you will live again. Jesus is alive. That's why you should become a Christian. And then finally, Revelation 12, verses 10 and verse 11. How to die as a Christian. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. So, Revelation 2 and Revelation 12 and other passages in the New Testament tell us that there's an adversary out there, but he cannot win against the people of God. We overcome him as God's people through death. Verse 11, And they overcame him, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even to death. So this evening, if you're not a child of God, we invite you to become a child of the servant king who is both man and God. There's only one way to learn how to become that man and that is through baptism. The book of Acts. Be surrendered to Him in the waters of baptism. Having repentance, godly sorrow in your heart. Being willing to make the good confession. Be baptized and immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and be added to the church. And then you join the rest of us, we who have surrendered to Christ. And each of us must live for Jesus a life full of love. The motivation for all that we say and do. And then you've died once through the waters of baptism. Each of us who are Christians have died once. The old man of sin is gone. And now the new man must live for Jesus until death. And even though we die, Jesus says, we live. We invite you tonight to come surrender to Christ. If there is a need, if there is someone that is struggling, we might pray with you or pray for you. Please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Are you fully trusting in him?